0: Thank you so much for for being here. Um, This presentation is what I consider a Bible study on the second angel's message. You know, we hear a lot about the first angel's message. Isn't that true in this church? And, And it's very important that we do because that's the standard to which God is calling us to live up to. Also for the other churches and the world. But we rarely hear too much, not too much about the second and the third Angel. And uh, this is going to be a Bible study on the second angel's message. And the presentation at 3 o'clock, what time did I say? Three o'clock. That's the one you don't want to miss. That's really going to be a continuation of what, I, what we were talking about last night. But I love the presentation that we're going to do at 3 o'clock because it really deals with what God's people will be doing during that short time of trouble. And it's uh, something you do not want to miss. It's just one of my favorite um, Presentations. I only actually did it one time, so it would be my second time doing it at three. Anyhow, without further ado, let's uh, bow our heads and let's ask the Lord's presence to be with us here. Father in heaven, we look at the hills, Lord, and we are reminded of your strength. We see the skies, Lord, and we're reminded of your beauty. We invite your strength and your beauty to be in this place. To present, Lord, to edit. Speak to me, Lord, on what to say, what not to say. I pray, O Lord, that you would cleanse me from sin and unrighteousness. I plead with you, Lord, to be attentive towards your people, that if there's any distractions, even evil spirits in here, that in the name of Jesus, those spirits would be rebuked. Amen. That only the Holy Spirit and the angels of heaven will have sweet communion with your people. Amen. Give us attentive ears. Um, allow us to remain awake, Lord, as we go through these scriptures. Most importantly, Father, I'm just asking for a spirit of joy. Amen. As we break open the bread of life, help us, Lord, to have a good time in your spirit. In Jesus' name, let everyone say. Amen. 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 I've entitled it The Brothel of Babylon. And um, because once you break down the second angel's message, it, it's pretty much, that's, that's what it is. Uh, that's what part of it is, I should say. But let's, let's talk briefly about the second angel's message. Does anybody know when the second angel's message was first proclaimed? 1844. Now my next question is, why was it proclaimed then? They rejected the first angel's message. Why was the first angel's message, when was the first angel's message declared? It's a mean here, we're just having a conversation. (laughs) (laughs) First angel's message was declared from between 1840 and 1844. The reason why I'm asking these questions because my brother and I were having a conversation, right? And let's just pretend, and I like to do this a lot, just pretend we all live in Ephesus, The church of Ephesus in the year is AD 90. So we're way back in the days right now. We got our tunics on. We got sandals on. Now, Ephesus is in Turkey, so it's pretty hot. Probably probably looks like this with rocks and, and desert, right? We go to the church of Ephesus. And we're a new church. And our brother in the Lord, John, is on an island which is not too far from Ephesus. He's on an island called Patmos. And all of a sudden, we are excited because one of the elders of the church comes running in saying, you never believe what I got in my hand. We're like, what you got, brother? I've got a letter, and it's from John. And we're excited now because he's one of the apostles. And we open this letter, and we're reading this letter, and we're kind of blown away by what we're reading. And one of the letters... uh, it, it, it's called Revelation. And we're reading these, this letter, we're kind of puzzled. And we get to this part where it says, Fear God, give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment is come. Now, what's not to make me think that judgment didn't start right then? You understand what I'm saying? I'm living in A.D. 90. The first time I'm reading this letter, the Bible, he's, John writes, The hour of his judgment is come. Wait a minute, judgment is starting right now. What's to make me think that it didn't start right then? The reason why I'm asking this question because he, he asked me that question. <laughs> and I was like, bro, that's a good question. We're going to get people, people from other churches will ask us that question to make sure we know our doctrine. Does my question make sense? Are you understand my question? How do we know when it started? And It's very important because the second angel's message comes right after and the third message. And, and, and the key word is judgment. The hour of his judgment is come. And uh, how many were here for the Daniel 8 Bible study with Peter Gregory, Elder Peter Gregory? Yes. And I started thinking about that and I said, you know what? That word judgment and revelation in the Greek, it means separation. That word actually is sanctuary lingo or sanctuary language. So when you see the hour of his judgment is come, you got to automatically think of the sanctuary, right? And then one who studies Revelation, you have to go to Daniel. Do you agree with me? And so when they ask you when did the judgment start, well, Daniel 8, 14 says, Unto 2,300 days, and then shall the sanctuary be cleansed. That word cleanse means made righteous. It also means to separate or remove the sins from the sanctuary. Are you following me? So on the Day of Atonement, what they did was separate sins from the sanctuary. And they actually put it on the goat named Azazel. Does everybody remember that? And guess what Azazel's name means? To separate. So it all kind of ties together. Am I losing people? Do you understand what I'm saying? So whenever you, somebody approaches you with that question, you have to always go back to Daniel 8, 14 to say, hey, the prophecy here with the 2300 days. So to preach the first angel's message, it's imperative that you know the 2300 days. Because if you do not know the 2300 days and you preach the first angel's message and somebody asks you that question, you're going to be, uh, and God, God has given us this message to preach. Amen. Amen. And so the second angel's message was given in 1844. And the reason why the, the, the angel says Babylon is fallen is because there was a rejection of the first angel's message. So let's look at the first or the second angel's message. And you can open your Bibles to Revelation 14, verse 8. And the Bible says... There followed another angel saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city, because she made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. That's it. Seems very short, but it's amazing how much information is in this one verse. And... I want us to just focus on this verse. And what we're gonna do is build. What word did I say? Build. It's important in scripture, whenever you study a topic in the Bible, that you fulfill Isaiah, line upon line, precept upon precept. It's imperative. But what we're gonna do is just get all the information we can from this verse without going to any other verse, okay? That's what we're gonna do. And as I looked at the second angel's message, Number one, it was proclaimed when the first angel's message was rejected. And when they rejected that message, there was a moral fall. And I'm going to explain that a little further. Servant of the Lord says this Those who rejected the first angel's message fell morally because God held up a standard fear God, give glory to Him, worship Him. Those who didn't take heed to that message, they automatically fell because they didn't step up to the platform. Are you there? And so they fell morally, but the servant of the Lord says, Babylon has not yet completely fallen. This has not come to pass, why? Because all nations have not drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. So let's get what we can. Now the word Babylon is, this is the first time it's mentioned in the book of Revelation, right here in this verse. It's not not mentioned, Babylon is talked about but it's, the word itself is not mentioned. So we're gonna pick this apart of uh, what we can pull out. So, so far we see that, okay, Babylon is a city that makes nations drink of her wine that brings wrath. Now, I had a problem with that last sentence. I said, Lord, this is a tongue twister. This is, this is a mind twister for me. What, what, is, what is the wine of the wrath of her fornication? Well, is that just me or does that sound kind of confusing? Maybe it's just me. It's not just me. The wine of the wrath. It sounds cool. I don't know if it sounds cool, but it has a good flow to it. But I said, I don't understand it, Lord. And I looked at different translations. They pretty much said the same thing. And the Lord broke it to me down this way. He says, okay, Babylon, this city, has a wine that when the nations drink of it, they commit fornication. So in the act of drinking the wine, because if you just cut out the wrath, it's the wine of of her fornication, right? It's the wine of her fornication. So when you drink this wine, you commit fornication. And in the act of committing fornication, it brings wrath. So it's kind of backwards, you understand what I'm saying? So nations drink of this wine, if you drink this wine, whatever she's offering, you commit fornication. Once that fornication is committed, that fornication brings wrath. Are you following me? Would you say amen? Amen. All right, so let's break this down a little bit. Okay, Babylon. You're just reading this for the first time. It's the first time the word Babylon is mentioned. There's two major things. Now, when you think of Babylon, Babylon, of course, you go back to the Tower of Babel, and the the root word of Babylon is Babel. Even in this word in the Greek, it means confusion. So you know this city represents confusion. But if you're reading this for the first time, and the way we're breaking it down, hopefully is a good way to also explain to uh, first day believers. Okay, here's what we know about Babylon. Babylon, in the Bible, was famous for destroying God's temple. Is that right or wrong? If you were a Jew and somebody mentioned Babylon, the first thing you're thinking of is that's the empire that destroyed our temple. That is the most, that is the, the major thing about Babylon. They're responsible for destroying God's temple or God's system of true worship. You following me? They are also responsible, and I think Elder Gregory talked about this, for taking captive God's people. So, so far, the second angel's message is saying Babylon is fallen. Babylon is responsible for destroying God's temple. Now, I'm gonna get, not, I hope this is not too deep, you guys know this stuff. What was in the temple of the Lord? The articles, right? So what did Babylon destroy? They destroyed the laver. They destroyed the brazen altar. They destroyed the candelabra. They destroyed the altar of incense. They destroyed the table of showbread. And the commandments. Do you see the symbolism? Already this entity is responsible for destroying everything that those articles represent. Witnessing baptism, the word of God, prayer, and the commandments, and even the cross—the doctrine on the cross—are you following me? They're also responsible for taking captive God's people. That's why the, the message in the third angel, powered by the latter rain, has come out of her, my people. So that's what we get from Babylon. That's what she she's a city responsible for doing that. Now, why in the Bible. Proverbs 20, verse 1, wine is a mocker, strong drink is raging, and whosoever is, what's that word? Deceived Deceived thereby is not wine. Not wine. Wise. (laughs) Hello. Just saying the word got me messed up. But wine, according to this verse, deceives you. Did you get it? Very simple. So Babylon, this city, responsible for destroying God's true system of worship, responsible for taking captive God's people, is giving out something that deceives you. So far? So good. Here's what else wine does. Proverbs 31, and there's a scripture in Leviticus 2 that talks about the priests. But this one says, it is not for kings, O Lemuel, which God has called us all to be, it is not for kings to drink wine, nor for princes strong drink, lest lest they drink and forget the law and pervert the judgment of any of the afflicted. So Babylon responsible for destroying true worship, for taking captive God's people, is giving out wine that deceives people in, into forgetting the law. Do you get that? Yeah. Okay. This is all just from the second angel's message. And lastly, that word fornication. So in the Bible, what is fornication? Well, in the Old Testament, whenever the word fornication is mentioned and it's talked about, I want to pull up this scripture. Now, before we read it, this is concerning King Jehoram. He's the son of Jehoshaphat, who did not walk in the ways of the Lord. He married the daughter of Ahab, so you know how bad he was. And uh, he committed what the Lord says, or the Bible says, fornication. So, moreover, he made high places, speaking of Jehoram, in the mountains of Judah and caused the inhabitants of Jerusalem to commit what, everyone? Fornication and compelled Judah thereto. You can refer to Ezekiel 16 as well to get a good definition of fornication. So whenever the Bible talks about fornication, it is referring to idolatrous false worship. It's always idolatrous false worship. Could you say that with me? Idolatrous false worship. I want you to remember that, because throughout the book of Revelation, you're going to hear fornication a lot. And when you hear the word fornication, you need to think of idolatrous false worship. It's very key that you put all those three words together. That's exactly what it is. All right, so let's put the pieces of the puzzle puzzle together, and the second angel, what is the second angel declaring? So far we just find out that it's a city. We know that this is the the papacy, but we're taking baby steps, Scripture upon Scripture. Just upon here, we just know it's a city. So Babylon is an entity or a city responsible for destroying God's true worship, for taking captive God's people or system of worship, destroying God's doctrine, so to speak, handing out wine to deceive the nations into forgetting the law, so that they could commit idolatrous false worship. Did you get it? That's a powerful message. Out of all the messages that we preach, this is a strong message. So is the third angel. These are strong messages. Once again, the third angel is saying, and guess who's the angel? It's us. You are are the angel. The second angel, I'm sorry. You are the angel. So this is what we should be saying there's a city out there that has destroyed god's system of worship his true system of worship is taking captive god's people is deceiving the nations into forgetting god's law and seducing them to commit idolatrous false worship isn't that powerful all right so now we're building Precept must be upon precept, line upon line, here a little and there a little. Of course, that's Isaiah 28, verse 10. So far, we learned a lot just from reading one verse. So now let's build. Let's go to Revelation chapter 16. I think Revelation chapter 16 is the second time, and I don't know what verse yet, but we'll find it. Revelation chapter 16 is the second time Babylon, the word Babylon, is mentioned in the Bible. And it's in verse 19. So just remember, you're in Ephesus and you're reading this thing here, and this is what you know about Babylon so far. It's clear, according to the word of God and your previous experience with the knowledge of the word. But Revelation 16 verse 19 says, and the great city, again Babylon is called a city. So you know it's a government. Are you following me? It's a system. That's what the Bible is telling you first. Babylon is a government. It's a system responsible for doing all these things. And it talks about the literal fall of Babylon right here. And the great city was divided into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell, and great Babylon came in remembrance before God to give her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his, what's that word? Remember? The wine of the wrath of her fornication. The fornication brings the wrath, and the wrath comes from who? Who? Are you following me? The third time the word Babylon is mentioned, and this is what we're doing, we're building. In in Bible, we need to get scripture here, scripture here, scripture there, scripture there. They're all pieces of a puzzle. You put them together and you get a a picture of what God's trying to tell us. Revelation 17, 1 through 6. Now, let's just read this. And some of the things that we find out are the same as the second angel's message. But some things God adds. Remember we studied Daniel 2 and Daniel 7 and then Daniel 8. And each time you read the prophecies, it's what's called repetition and enlargement. God will repeat the same thing, but the second time he repeats it, he adds a little bit more detail. Daniel chapter 2 with the image, right? With uh, what Peter Gregory went over. Daniel chapter 7... It got more detail when it, when it got to the dreadful beast. All of a sudden, you heard about ten horns. All of a sudden, you heard about the little horn, right? And even more detail in Daniel 8. And so this is repetition and enlargement. God does this throughout the Bible. Revelation 17, let's read. Um, verse 1, And there came one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials, and talked with me, saying... Unto me, come hither. I will show unto thee the judgment of the great whore that sitteth upon many waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication. Same thing is mentioned in Revelation 14, the second angel's message. And the inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk with the wine of her idolatrous false worship. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet-colored beast. That's a new detail, the woman. The woman before it was a city, full of the names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet color and decked with gold, precious stones, and pearls, having a golden cup in her hand, full of... What's that word, everyone? Abominations Abominations and filthiness of her fornication or idolatrous false worship. And upon her forehead was a name written, Mystery Babylon the Great the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth." I know that's a lot of information, but the first important thing that we learned in this scripture, which is powerful to me, is that now Babylon is not only a city, it's a woman. First second angel's message tells you that it's a government, a city. All of a sudden you find out more details in Revelation 17 that not only is she a city, she's a woman. And these are famous scriptures that we should all know already to show forth that a woman represents a church in Bible scripture. I like the last one. For I have espoused you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. Second Corinthians 11, 2 Corinthians 11.2. What does the word chaste mean? Anybody? It means faithful. Faithful and pure. God's church is to be faithful and pure. Stow that away in your brains as well. So let's go over the details, what we know so far just from this chapter. And by the way, if you want these slides, I can email them to you. Because I know you guys are writing. I can email them to you. I'm just gonna get them on PDF and just email it, all right? No problem. Sorry, I should've told you that from the beginning. (laughs) So here's what we learned. Revelation 17, 1, 6. She's a woman. Kings and inhabitants of the earth are drunk with the wine of her idolatrous false worship. That's the same thing that God said in the second angel's message. Amen? So that's not different. Here's something different, though. The woman is arrayed in purple and scarlet and decked with golden pearls. That's definitely something new. Amen? Something, a new detail God added here that I think is extremely important Now it tells us in Revelation, the second angel, she has this wine that she's given. It gets more detailed of what this wine is with this part right here. The golden cup filled with abominations and filthiness of her fornication. We know what fornication is. That's idolatrous false worship. But God is specifying the idolatrous false worship. Are you following me? He gives a name to the fornication and calls it abomination. We're going to, again, stow that away. So far you got a couple things stowed away. But remember, the Holy Spirit would just help us Amen. by the grace of God. Amen. We also find out a new detail that's imperative. We're just building here. That not only is this a city, she's a woman, but she's a mother. God had added a lot more detail in this verse. And we're going to put it all together. So in the second angel's message, she's a city. So now we know that not only is the city responsible for destroying the system of true worship and taking God's people captive and issuing out a wine that makes people forget the law so they can commit idolatrous false worship, but this woman is responsible. The city and the woman, if you read the end of the chapter in 17 verse 18, the woman and the city is the same. They're the same entity. So God is saying Babylon represents a government... And Babylon represents a church. Is it clear? Remember these details because we're building here. All right, she's a mother, woman, abominations, purple and scarlet. Okay, let's build some more. Now, those are the three, first three times the word Babylon is mentioned. The second angel's message, Revelation 16 and Revelation 17. It's not the first time Babylon is spoken of. Actually, Babylon is first spoken of in Revelation chapter 2. Let's go there. But God doesn't call her by the name Babylon. He uses a total different name, which adds so much more detail to what we got already. I mean, it, it, just, it just fills your cup all over to the point where you know who Babylon is without a question. Because many of us, and I've been guilty. Somebody's asked me before when I first came into the faith, who's Babylon? Oh, man, Babylon's a papacy. What's the mark of the beast? Oh, pfft, Sunday blue law, man. And they're like, dude, you're crazy, man, whatever. Because I didn't take time to show them from the word and let the word speak for itself. Amen. That's so important. you got to let God speak. Don't you speak. And when you show the word, then conviction comes. Yeah. I've ruined so many people's uh, chances, so to speak, because I wanted to show them. And I've spoken more than I. Now, when I witness, you know what God tells me to do? You hush your mouth. You pray that the person you're witnessing to is influenced by the Holy Ghost and that no demons would influence them. And you know what I pray? I say, Holy Spirit, you give him the words and the questions to ask. Yeah. And so you're directing both of us. We're like two dummies being used by the Holy Ghost. And the Holy Spirit would have him ask the right questions. You know what? And the Holy Spirit said, Adam, turn to the scripture. Okay, let me show you here. Well, let me show you here. Let me show you here. Amen. I'm not saying the word. Anyhow, Revelation chapter 2, we're going to read the Bible. This is the first time Babylon is spoken of. And un- oh, this is, this is so powerful. Revelation 2:18. Are we there? Amen. And unto the angel of the church in Thyatira, write these things, saith the Son of God, who hath his eyes like unto a flame of fire, and his feet are like fine brass. Let's stop right there. I said, Lord, this is a, in, this is a, a magnificent intro. And here's why. It's a rare intro. This is, this is one of the rare times that Jesus outright declares himself the Son of God. Let's look at Revelation chapter 2 verse, verse 1. Out of, out of all the other introductions to the churches, he gives you hints or clues to his identity. He never outright tells you that I'm the Son of God, but over here he does. Let's look at, look at the church of Ephesus, chapter 2, verse 1. Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. That's a clue. Right? You know it's Jesus, but he didn't say it's Jesus. Let's look at verse, same chapter, verse 8. And unto the angel of the church of Smyrna, these things saith the first and the last, which was dead and is alive. That's another clue. He doesn't say this is Jesus. It's just a clue. Let's look at the same chapter. Let's look at verse 12. And unto the angel of the church of Pergamos, write, these things saith he which hath the sharp sword with two edges. Let's look at chapter 3, verse 1. And unto the angel of the church in Sardis write these things, saith he that hath the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, and know thy works, and thou hast a name that thou livest and art dead. You see the clues? And of course, the Laodicean church is verse 14, chapter 3. And unto the angel of the church of Laodicea, these things saith the amen, the faithful, the true witness, the beginnings of the creation of God. He gives all these clues to all the other churches, but in this church hello. It's what I, what I call he's pulling rank. It's like he's upset with something. He's outright saying, you know what? These things say it, the Son of God. And look how he describes himself. Who hath his eyes like unto a flame of fire, and his feet are like fine brass. Brass in the, in the Bible is symbolic of strength. Flame in eyes, strength, the Son of God. Okay, Lord, what are you trying to say? Let's talk about Thyatira. We'll get an understanding of why our Lord started the letter this way. All right, Thyatira is a city in Asia Minor. Um, remember I said the Ephesus story? That's where Patmos is. You see how close it is? And so the letter, in Revelation chapter 2, the, the, the letter to the seven churches, you see how close they are to Patmos? There goes Thyatira right there, right? So it's in Asia Minor, which is now Turkey. And Thyatira, just just some background on the city, it's very important, I believe. That's the ruins right now. But Thyatira, if you look on Wikipedia or anywhere, they were known for the manufacturing of scarlet, purple and scarlet cloth. Matter of fact, the writings of Homer will tell you the same. That nobility and kingship would travel near and far to get a piece of this royal cloth. And it was purple and scarlet. Matter of fact, it's in the Bible. And a certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple of the city of Thyatira, (laughs) which worshiped God, heard us. This is in the book of Acts, chapter 16, verse 14. Right? So notice that we're we're building here to get an idea, right? So that's Thyatira. Now, this, this blew me away. Thyatira, the principal deity of Thyatira, the principal deity of the city was Apollo, worshiped as a sun god under the surname. Tyreminus. So in other words, the main god of the city was the sun god, and his name was Tyrimnus, who is just another name for Apollo. Now Apollo was the son of who? Zeus. So Apollo was concer- considered the son of God, because Zeus is the all-father. So you have Tyreminus, who is the son of God, right? And notice the description of Tyreminus, the tut- tutelary, did I say that right? Tutelary god of Thyatira, represented with flaming rays and feet of what? Hello. Revelation chapter 2, verse 18. These things saith the Son of God, who hath his eyes like unto a flame of fire and feet like fine brass. As if God was saying, you know what? I have an issue with this false Son of God. That's what I call pulling rank. He said, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm the Son of God. You ever seen those movies, you know, where... Uh, the soldiers are uh, uh, the president's on the phone and he's giving the order soldier I want you to execute order 666 whatever I don't know why I said that but (laughs) the soldier doesn't know it's the president right and he's like sir I can't execute that order only General uh, MacArthur can do that and then the president has to pull rank son do you know who you're talking to this is the president of the United States go ahead and execute that order Jesus was pulling rank. Let me tell you who really is the Son of God. So, let's continue to read. Let's look at verse 20. God has an issue with what's going on in Thyatira. And notice what he says. Verse 20. Notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee, because thou sufferest that woman, and what's her name? Which calleth herself a prophetess, to teach and to seduce my servants, to commit what? To commit what? I'm hearing different answers here. Sexual immorality, you got different versions, that's why. Fornication, or sexual immorality. What's fornication again? Hello, alright. She's seducing God's servants to commit idolatrous false worship, right? Eat things sacrificed unto idols. Now notice this, let's keep reading. I gave her space to repent of her fornication, and she repented not. Behold, I will cast her into a bed, and them that commit adultery with her into great tribulation, except they repent of their deeds. And I will kill her what? Hello, she's a mother. With death, and all the churches shall know that I am he which searcheth the reins and hearts, and I will give unto you every one, unto every one of you according to your works. Wow. There's a whole lot of information here. Now, the letters to the churches have at least three applications. It's like a cheesecake, right? Yeah, with three layers, right? (laughs) So the first layer, which is the strawberries or the cherries, however you want it or like it. Hopefully you don't eat that stuff too much. But the first layer is the actual literal letter to to that church because it was a letter sent to the church. That's the first layer, right? The second layer is actually the application applied to the church age. You understand what I'm saying? The church of Thyatira represents an age of time. The seven churches, the first church is Ephesus, that represents the first age of the church from the time of the apostles to probably about 8100. The second age of the church is the church of Smyrna, which when we were, they were getting persecuted all the way up to about the time of Constantine, 313, 314 A.D., right? Persecution, that's why that church is persecuted. Pergamos is the second age when Constantine takes over, which is about 321 A.D. all the way to 538. Are you following me? And this is the age representing the papacy. But out of all the women that God could use as a name, he chooses the name Jezebel. Now, what does a woman represent in Bible prophecy? Church. So let's, let's, I got a list here of what we've learned. We're building up from Revelation 14, Revelation 17. Now we're building what we learned from here. So this woman named Jezebel is teaching and seducing fornication. What's fornication again? So you have a church that's teaching idolatrous false worship. She lives in a city that manufactures purple and scarlet. She lives in a city with the sun god as the principal deity. She's also a mother. Some of these are the same details as you found in Revelation 17. Amen? Some of them are new. But the most important detail is the name Jezebel. Jezebel's name means unchaste, Mm. impure, and unfaithful. It also means, if you look it up in the concordance, it gives you two meanings. It also means it means unchaste, and it means Baal is husband to. In other words, Jezebel means I'm the wife of the sun God. Now think about this. God is describing a woman which represents a church. With, with the meaning that this church is married to the sun God, this church is unfaithful, and this church teaches idolatrous false worship. Now, with one name, God is going to break down in so much detail the church he's speaking of. And you will have no question of who the church is. And I know a lot of this is repetition, but this is just an important thing that we know how to explain our position from the Bible. Amen? Amen. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Jezebel. Let's remember Jezebel really quick. Some of the details about her her notorious life. Wife of King Ahab represents an unholy union between God's people and paganism. Amen? Amen. Also, she seduced, and I love this one. She seduced and influenced, not what she did, but the fact. Influenced Israel in breaking the commandments of God, particularly the Sabbath, to worship the sun God. So think about this. The whole nation of Israel keeps the Sabbath. When she comes in the picture and there's an unholy union, then the whole nation is seduced or they drink the wine of the fornication and commit idolatrous false worship and they turn their backs on the Sabbath. Isn't that powerful? Because this church in Thyatira, that's exactly what they did. So this woman goes against the Sabbath. She persecuted the prophets of the Lord. You can read this in the first Kings chapter 18 and so forth, persecuted the prophets of the Lord and they hid where? That's what the Bible says, First Kings chapter 18. She was a powerful leader who influenced the king to do her bidding. The Bible tells us in, in, in the story of Nabal's Vineyard that she was the one in control and Ahab was the little wimp that listened to her. In other words, she was the church power and Ahab was the executive power. Do you follow me? Because Ahab had the army. So she enforced her will through his armies. Understand what I'm saying? Just as Rome will do with the United States in the end of time. All right, and during her reign, there was a period of three and a half years or 1260 days of no reign. Are you following me? Isn't God powerful? Yeah. He just used one name, Jezebel. Now, you know the, word, the name Jezebel is not mentioned anywhere else in the Bible except in Kings. Except about this woman. And in the Old Testament, um, Jehu, before he kills her, calls her the whore who has seduced people with her sorceries. Her witchcraft, he says. It's powerful. One name. God says, okay, you know who Jezebel is. She's notorious. And without a question, without a doubt, after all this information you put the pieces together, it only points to one entity, the papacy. Revelation 14, Revelation 17, Revelation 2, everything comes together into this picture that you cannot deny. An unholy union between God's people and paganism. That's how they started. Seduced or influenced the Christian world into breaking the commandments and worshiping the day of the sun. Persecuted the saints of God. Anybody read the great controversy? Where do they hide? And in the caves, powerful leader who influenced kings. The papacy in its early days, just like you heard uh, uh, Elder Gregory talk about Clovis. Clovis was a king who was the executive power for the pope. Three and a half years, twelve hundred sixty years of power, five thirty-eight to seventeen ninety-eight. Isn't that powerful? Now let's think about the days of Jezebel when there was no rain. What does rain mean in the Bible? Holy Spirit. And also in Deuteronomy 32, my doctrine shall drop as the rain and my teaching shall uh, dispel as the dew. So God's word is the rain as well. Now think about the papal uh, rain. What did they do? They tried to suppress the rain. There was a famine in the dark ages. Same with Jezebel. And so with all the pieces together, it's undeniable that Jezebel In the Bible is the papacy. A lot of us though, you know, including myself, didn't really see the papacy clearly with that in Revelation chapter 2 as much as I should have. Especially with with all the minute details we put together. The husband to the sun god. Now, isn't that powerful? She was a priestess of the sun god, and God uses this woman, and she represents everything of the papacy. Even her death. How did Jezebel die? She fell out the window. She got pushed out the window. Second angel's message says Babylon is fallen. Is fallen. Isn't God powerful? You see how important it is to put all the pieces together? And you get this beautiful I don't know if it's beautiful, but you get this picture that is undeniable. And when God's word speaks, there's nothing you can do but accept it or reject it knowingly. But at least there's conviction. Amen? Amen? Amen. So now we know clearly that this church, this system is causing people to drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. All right, let's get into a little bit more detail. What am I doing here? Jezebel. This is just putting all the pieces together a little bit more. Of course, the, the scarlet and purple, the city of Thyatira where Jezebel dwells, and uh, Revelation 17, the church is clothed in scarlet and purple. All these little details. I think God has is, God is put in all these details so that there's no question about the identity. And I, if you think about it, God mentions the papacy so many times in so many different ways. And I ask the Lord, why? It's so much. It's the little horn. It's the man of sin. You know, it's, it's the beast. It's the, it's the woman. It's Jezebel. God is really trying to warn his people. Now, here's one thing I want to talk about. We're going to get to the brothel now. So far, what we've learned in Revelation 17 and Revelation 2 about Jezebel is that this entity is a mother. That means to be a mother, you've got to have what? Children. Children. Revelation 17 says she's a mother of harlots. That could be translated as fornication, mother of fornications. Mother of idolatrous false worship. In order to be a mother, you must have children. But this is the the scary one. God says, I will kill her children with death. So obviously, you don't want to be a child of Babylon. Obviously, it's not a good thing to be a child of Babylon. If you study Revelation 2 about Thyatira, her children are committing fornication with her. In other words, her children are guilty of her doctrine. You've got to study that. It tells you that her children are doing the doctrine, committing fornication, and eating things, sacrificing unto idols. So we're not going to get too much into that. But how do we identify a child of Babylon? Reformation time. And uh, I don't know why I put this quote up here, but I just want to, I put it up here. This is what Luther said. The church of Rome has become the most lawless den of thieves, the most shameless of all brothels, the very kingdom of sin, death and hell, so that not even Antichrist, if he were to come, could devise any addition to its wickedness. That's just one of those powerful quotes. This was the state or the mind state of the church leaving Catholicism during the Reformation. And so here's a diagram, just a little one, of some of the Protestant, those who protested against Rome, leaving the Mother Church. Now, if you, if you Google the Mother Church on Wikipedia, Roman Catholic Church is going to come out, just for the simple fact that all the churches came out of her, so to speak. You understand me? And this is a more detailed map. Now, I don't know if this is true. Maybe you guys can help me out. We got, they got the Seventh-day Adventist under the Baptists. Is that true? I thought it was Methodist. Well, I don't know. Well, in a way, it was. It, it was? Yeah, give or take, both. Really. It was both? Okay. It was, it was a mass church. Yes, yeah, more of a mixture. Okay. I, I did, I, the main reason for me putting this was just to show how many churches came out of Rome. Right. Right? That's the, that was the whole idea. But I, I, I was curious about that. So my question is this. The churches that have come out of Rome and have come to these shores are still, in a sense, considered the children of Rome. She's still considered the mother church. Now, the Bible has an issue with her children. So, what really constitutes the harlot churches? Well, Revelation 2 says, gives us the clues. A harlot church practices harlotry, a harlot church commits fornication. What's fornication? I don't. Also, a harlot church is unchaste or unfaithful, right? Very, very, now, now this, this separates a whole lot of churches, right? This identifies who is in the brothel house. Idolatrous false worship, all right? Quick, quick, quick look at God's true church. And I, and I love the terminology God uses for his true church. I have espoused you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste. Everything that Jezebel is not. Chaste means pure and faithful. What keeps you pure pure and faithful? Notice what the Bible says. I love these verses. All thy commandments are faithful. Notice what the Bible says about purity. The commandment of the Lord is pure. enlightening the eyes. So God's true church is a commandment keeping church. Amen. That is the symbol of her purity and her being chaste. Amen? Amen. Alright, so we're going to get into some part really quick. I think it's important to talk about this, the tie that binds, and I know many of us heard this so many times, so I'm going to blow through this really quick. The idolatrous mother, right? The origins. It's important to know that from AD 31, 31 AD, to about 313 AD, was heavy persecution upon God's people, right? Satan was doing his best as my brother presented to kill God's people, he was that dragon, he was wroth. He said, you know what, I'm gonna outright try to slay and put you down. Of course, we know that didn't work. And so he changed his plans when this man came along. Now, the reason why I wanna put this out is because some people think it's it's a myth with this Constantine thing, but I think it's important that we understand history Because Constantine really belonged, according to history, to a cult called Sol Invictus. And the name of the cult means unconquered sun. Now this is proof. This is an actual coin in the year, I think it was after 321 AD. Coins were still printed with Constantine right here, and that's the sun god. So he's on on the coin with himself and the sun god saying that he honors the sun god and he's equal with the sun god. As an emperor, you were considered somewhat of a god. So that's proof of his allegiance, if you will, to the sun god. And of course, we know the story. Some of us may not. But he goes into battle, 312 AD. Remember, persecution stopped at 313. Constantine became a Christian after claiming to see in broad daylight a vision of a cross above the sun. Now notice this, that, that, that is crazy, because you see the cross, you see the sun, and all of a sudden he gets the idea to put them together. He sees both symbols in the sky. And of course he goes into battle, he wins the battle, and he becomes this quote-unquote Christian. But he still belongs to the cult. And notice, not too long after, he makes... Uh, a decree in 321 AD on the venerable day of the sun, let the magistrates and people residing in cities rest and let all workshops be closed. Now, if you're a Christian, why are you making a law talking about the venerable day of the sun? That has nothing to do with the resurrection. Christians today, if you talk to Protestants and I love to learn their position, They tell you today that it's it's because of the resurrection day that we worship and honor Sunday. And they'll use church fathers in history, and I wish I had other time to get into how to talk to them in regards to that. But this law doesn't mention the resurrection, doesn't mention anything about Christianity whatsoever. Strictly paganism. Not too shortly after this, we're going to go through this quick. Christians must not Judaize by resting on the Sabbath. This happened in 364. But must work on that day, rather honoring the Lord's day, supposedly Sunday, and if they can, resting then as Christians. But if any shall be found to be Judaizers, let them be anathema, or anathema, how do you say that? Anathema, anathema from Christ, cut off. And folks, the reason why I explain the origins of the sun god, because it's in Revelation chapter 2 with Thyatira, and it also is so clear in the Catholic Church. If you go in the churches and look on their websites, there's emblems of the sun everywhere, right? Look at these images. And you ask yourself, why? He's got the sun right there and he's got the crescent moon. Why? That has nothing to do with the word of God. But there's sun rays everywhere. That's the Jesuit symbol up there with the sun rays, right? The Vatican. Why? Why is there a sundial here? Just why? Why do you have an obelisk there to the sun god? Why? You see? See? I, I just don't understand it. But the Bible makes it clear. And, and that's that's Saint Peter's throne supposedly, And right above it is a big sun, right? And that's that symbol again. They got all kinds of them. Yeah. You just showed that. Sundials. Yeah. A sign of witchcraft is a wagon wheel, and that's the world's biggest wagon wheel right now. Wow. Did you hear what he said? He said a sign of witchcraft is the wagon wheel, which the Vatican has, and that's the world's biggest wagon wheel. Do you know Jezebel in the Old Testament was con- uh, uh, accused of, 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 of doing witchcraft? And do you know Babylon is... Uh, let me, let's just go to the scripture. Revelation, where is it? Or the best place to hide something is in plain sight. Yeah, Revelation 18. Look at the latter part of verse 23. Speaking of Babylon, Revelation 18. Let's look at last part, verse 23. And it says, Thy merchants were thy great men of the earth, for by thy sorceries were all nations deceived. Right? Wow. Thank you, brother. I didn't know that. And if you guys know something I don't know, please share. This is. And I love what Elder Gregory talked about yesterday. The leopard like beast. These statues are right in front of the Vatican. Right now. These are Greek looking statues. You understand what I'm saying? That's the Apostle Paul. Supposedly. He looks just like Zeus, brother. I, I'm pretty sure his beard wasn't like that, curly and wavy. And, that's yeah, that's some dreadlocks. <laughs> and these, Jesus and the apostles, these are Greek gods. The leopard-like beast, Revelation chapter 13. And I say, what if the apostle Paul walked the earth today and he saw these idols? It would break his heart. It, was, it would break his heart. Remember the conversation he had on Mars Hill? Anyhow. This, this one blew my mind. This is in a church, I believe, in Chicago. Roman Catholic Church. Now, that's all kinds of blasphemy, yeah. right? You got Mary. Now, why does she have the sundial around her neck? Why? Why is she on something that looks like the Ark of the Covenant w- between the cherubins, which the Bible said only God dwells between? And look behind her. There's another sundial. And have the, the crest, yeah, the moon. Which is, it's all kind of paganism. Why? There's no denying what you're seeing here. this, This is powerful. And so like I was speaking yesterday, God's design when calling his people out of Babylon through the reformers was to completely separate them from this idolatrous false worship. But why did the Protestant nations hang on to that, which God wants to separate them from? You see the importance of the first angel? The first angel is to cut you away from all that. They, the Protestants, have continued to observe custom, even though it rests upon the authority of the Catholic Church and not upon any explicit text in the Bible. That observance remains the reminder of the Mother Church, from which non-Catholic sects broke away, like a boy running away from his mother, but still carrying in his pocket a picture of his mother or a lock of her hair. So they're saying basically all the Protestants who honor Sunday are our children. They belong to the brothel house. I read this quote yesterday, Sunday is an institution of the Roman Catholic Church and those who observe the day observe a commandment of the Catholic Church. And I read this scripture yesterday as well. Know ye not that whom you use your self-service to obey? His servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. Amen. And I believe I read this one as well. What know ye not that he which is joined to a harlot is one body? Now, I hope we understand this a little bit more. They're joined because the churches that worship on Sunday are committing idolatrous false worship. Idolatrous false worship is what? Fornication. So if you commit fornication, you're joined to the harlot. Is that understandable? And therefore, you're one body. So when the second angel's message says, Babylon is fallen, it's fallen. It says fallen twice. One to represent Rome, one to represent the Protestant churches. But it uses one name. Babylon. Why? Because they're one body. Amen? Amen. All right. So all that information to sum up the second angel's passage. A lot of information in just one verse, right? And there followed another angel, which is you and I, saying, Babylon, this city, this church is fallen, is fallen. Anyone, because she makes all nations, drink of the wine, which is something that will deceive you to forgetting the law. Of the wrath of her for fornication, they seduce you into committing idolatrous false worship, which we've just identified specifically as Sunday worship. Mm-hmm. Now, a Servant of the Lord says this again, this prophecy has not yet been fulfilled. When does Babylon make all nations drink the wine to where all nations forget God's law? All nations participate in idolatrous false worship. When does that happen? Sunday law. Sunday law. We talked about it a little last night. And at 3 o'clock, it's going to be wonderful. So this prophecy is fulfilled because in Revelation 13, like we talked about yesterday. When that happens, when the Sunday blue law happens, when everyone's deceived and on one accord, then this has reached its full fulfillment. Amen? Amen. All right. Last, last thing I think, no, not last thing, last couple of things. Yet, yeah. I want to t- touch on that word abominations. Now, now, servant of the Lord says specifically that the wine of the wrath of her fornication is Sunday worship. Now, that's a bold statement. She outright says that the fornication is Sunday worship. Now, you can't go to anybody and say, "Oh, it's Sunday worship," without being able to prove it from the Bible can't do that you can do it in the Adventist church servant of the Lord says it well I'm going to believe it all day because I believe in the servant of the Lord but there's some people in the Adventist church that don't even believe in the servant of the Lord so we got to be able to use the word of God amen Amen. so so far we've I think we've identified from the word of God that fornication is idolatrous false worship and we've seen through history that the idolatrous false worship is tied into the sun God through Revelation chapter 2 and historically with the Vatican and Constantine but abominations Okay, let me pray. Father, I just want to ask for your help, Lord, because I can't do it without you, Lord. I just need help. Amen. I just pray for your help, Lord, because I, I, I must admit I get confused too, Lord, with your word a lot. And I don't want to confuse myself or others, Lord. So I just, I just plead for your spirit and I thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 All right, so that word abomination. So, so far, let's put together what we've learned, right? Babylon is a woman. She's a city. And before we talk about abominations, we have to talk about abominations specific to the woman. And here's why I say that. Because there's all kind of abominations in the Bible, right? Unclean foods and witchcraft and bestiality and homosexuality. And we know by using our common sense and logic that the Roman Catholic Church does not push homosexuality right? They, they don't push bestiality. Now they may do some witchcraft <laughs> yeah. but they're not pushing go ahead and conjure up the dead, right? Divination. They're not pushing those abominations, right? So we have to be very wise with what God is saying because he, he, he's telling us that a woman, a church has an abomination in her cup. So it's a doctrine that a church is pushing. You get, you get what I'm saying? Right. So there's only one area in the Bible that I found where you find an abomination that occurs within God's house together that that ties in with this. And it's found, and we can go there too, it's an abomination that occurs in God's house, which is his church. It's found, see too much, too much effects. Ezekiel chapter 8. And it's very fitting. It, it ties in so beautifully, I think. And I, and I think we... I'm just learning to do this. And I think we as a church really need to learn to work the Bible so, so beautifully that it explains itself so clear. And it all fits together like a puzzle. And, and without a doubt, we need the Holy Spirit. But I think we need to kind of train ourselves you know what I mean and and get the muscle working so to speak so maybe the next time I present this it'll come out a little better you know but praise the Lord anyhow Ezekiel chapter 8 are we there now I got this little diagram because bam explaining Ezekiel chapter 8 now Ezekiel's in Babylon he's in Babylon God grabs him by the hair how much time do I have left 10 minutes Okay, have mercy. I talk too much. Um, Wow. Okay, let me skip through. So, really quick, God takes Ezekiel by the back of the hair. I guess he had a ponytail or something. I don't know. Thinking of my brother there. He didn't listen. Grabbed him by the back of the hair, right, and pulls him in vision from Babylon to the temple of God, and he shows him. What's going on in his house? Verse 3, and he, put me, and he put forth the form of a hand and took me by the lock of mine head. And the Spirit lifted me up between the earth and heaven and brought me in the visions of God to Jerusalem, to the door of the inner gate that looketh toward the north, where it was the seat of image of jealousy, which provoketh to jealousy. This is the north. North, right? East, south, west. So God brings Ezekiel here and right in the north is an image of jealousy. An image is just an idol, right? What is it doing in God's house? That's... And right... And in, a, in a verse 4... No, let's, let's skip down. Uh, verse 6. He said, Furthermore unto me, son of man, seest thou what they do, even the great abominations that the house of Israel committeth here, that I should go far off from my sanctuary, but turn thee yet again, and thou shalt see, what's that word? Greater Greater abominations. So he says, you think that's bad? I'm going to show you something worse. So God is building, right? Then he brings him, into the court, right, in verse seven and eight, and he tells them to dig. In verse nine, and he said unto me, go in and behold the wicked abominations that they do here. Verse ten, so I sent in and I saw and behold every form of creeping things and abominable beasts and all the idols of the house of Israel portrayed upon the wall. And eleven, it's all the seventy elders that are doing this. And there stood before them seventy men of the ancients of the house of Israel. And in the midst of them stood Jazaniah, the son of Shaphan, with every man his censer in his hand, and a thick cloud of incense went up. So God takes Ezekiel now and in the inner chambers of God's house more idolatry is occurring. Right? Verse 13 He said said also unto me, turn ye yet again and thou shalt see what? Greater abominations. He says, you think that's bad? Let me show you something worse. Then he shows them what God considers worse. In verse Fourteen, He takes them and there's a bunch of women weeping for Tammuz. Anybody know who Tammuz is? Who? The son of of Nimrod. Son of Nimrod. All from Babylon, right? So they're weeping for Tammuz, right? And God says this is the greatest abomination thus far. And then verse 16, he says, no, at the end of verse 15, he says, let's read verse 15. Then he said unto me, hast thou seen this, O son of man? Turn thee yet again, and thou shalt see greater abominations than these. So, so far, what we're going to get into is the greatest abomination. Are you listening to me? Now listen, here we go. And he brought me into the inner court of the Lord's house. And behold, at the door of the temple of the Lord, between the porch and the altar, the porch and the altar, were about five and twenty men. Now people say these are the priests with their backs toward the temple of the Lord and their faces toward the east. And they did what, everyone? Now, this is astounding. Number one, because it's the greatest abomination. Number two, they're worshiping the sun. And they're not worshiping the sun on a hill. They're worshiping the sun in the house of God. This is the only place in scripture where you see idolatrous false worship in God's house. It's the amalgamation of the pagan and the holy or the the holy and the profane. And no, I wish we had time to talk about Ezekiel chapter 9. Because right. After God says this is the greatest abomination in verse 18 all of a sudden he says therefore will I also deal in fury mine eyes shall not spare neither will I have pity and though they cry in mine ears with a loud voice yet will I not hear them do you know when God speaks like that when he doesn't want he cuts off mercy mark of the beast Those who receive the mark of the beast, that's the last straw. Once you make that decision, no more mercy, you receive the wrath of God. And notice what happens in Ezekiel chapter 9. I'm trying to end really quick. Ezekiel chapter 9, all of a sudden, because of what's going on in the abominations, God gets a man with an incorn and six people, and he says, Mark my people, all those who sigh and cry for the abominations. What abominations are they sighing and crying about? You know, what, you, know what, you know what Ezekiel's talking about in the end time? There's going to be God's people who are crying against idolatrous false worship in God's house. Specifically worth, worshiping the sun because that's the greatest abomination. And that's the last message before the sealing. And before judgment is cast on all those. Are you following me? Amen. Oh, I get excited over this stuff. <laughs> the greatest abomination. So the woman in her cup... The abomination and the filthiness of her fornication. We need, we need to end. So that's, that's pretty much the summary of the second angel's message. Amen? Amen. Amen? And now it makes sense why the servant of the Lord says the fornication is Sunday worship. Amen? Amen? Amen. Everything she says you can find in the Bible. Do you believe that? Amen. Yes. Amen. 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 I think that's the end. Yeah, we, we need to end. Let's just end. All right. Time? Yeah, that's just backing up what we just said, that the fornication is that. <laughs> Since you love details so much, it's actually uh, back to the temple. Yes, sir. They're facing the rising sun. They're facing the rising sun. And, and I like the fact that they're, I don't like the fact, but their back is towards the temple. That means it, it, it is, they're turning their back on everything the temple represents. Right on God, the commandments, the, the articles of furniture that Babylon is responsible for destroying. Right? But notice what they have before them. They have the altar, which represents the cross. So, so they, they give honor to the cross, right? And they give honor uh, to the son at the same time. But all the other articles, which is the labor, baptism, which they messed up, right? Every other doctrine is destroyed. They have their back towards or against. Isn't that powerful? Yeah. It's also good to know uh, with, with the sun thing that we're supposed to spread it to all nations, civilizations, and all that. And uh, if you look at all nations, all civilizations, they all worship. The Incas, they worship the sun. They the did. Aztecs, they worship the sun. They the Greeks, they worship the sun. The Babylon every civilization, they changed the name, but it's still the same God. Because yeah. there's only two sides to the controversy, right? <laughs> there's only God and Satan. You got a comment, brother? Yeah. Beautiful what you brought out. Only those who are sealed are those who wait between the fortune and the altar. I love that sanctuary thing. I always was wondering about the porch. I wasn't clear on that. But, beautiful, only those that are sealed yes, sir. wait between the fortune and the altar for the abomination that's happening. Yeah. In God's house. you got to cry out for what's going on. And that's what the three angels' messages is about. Are we sighing and crying for the abominations? Yes. Are we sighing and crying? Yes. That's what God wants us to do. But we can't sign and cry if we don't really know. That's right. God's word, alright? So let's, let's prayerfully study um, because there's so much we need to know. And I think we'll just enter Proverbs, let me just <laughs> read Proverbs 7 on your own time. Okay? okay? It's powerful. It speaks about a harlot. Right? And it speaks about a man walking in darkness. And because he's walking in darkness, the harlot gets him. And then it tells you your protection from the harlot is the commandments? Because in Proverbs chapter six it says the commandment is a light. Proverbs chapter seven, the man doesn't have the light. The Bible says he's walking in darkness, pitch blackness. I can't remember how it says it, but it is in darkness. And because he walks in darkness, there's a harlot there that gets him. So the Bible is saying is if you have your light, it'll protect you from the keep my commandments and live and the law as the apple of thine eye, that they may keep thee from the strange woman or the harlot from the stranger which flattereth with her words. It's powerful. Anyhow, we're done. I can go on. That's what what we need to do. This is Ezekiel. We just need to blow the trumpet. All right, shall we pray? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much, Lord, for bearing with me, Lord. I thank you, Lord. I thank you for your people, Lord. You've answered prayer, the prayer that we've prayed in the beginning, you've answered, Lord, and I thank you for it. Bless us now, Lord, as we depart, and I pray that Your spirit would continue to uh, build up these truths in our mind. And I I pray most fervently for a a strong desire, Lord, to know more about your word and know how to speak and present it to others. Give us the courage to do so, Lord, and the faith to believe that you will teach us. And we thank you for these things. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse